Welcome back to Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. We're going to be covering games three and four of the 2023 World Series before game five starts tonight. And obviously, if you've been paying attention, the Rangers now stand just one win away. They can get things done tonight behind Nathan Avaldi. And the Diamondbacks are sending Zach Gallon to the mound with their season on the line, needing to win three in a row. Of course, you can't win three in a row unless you get the first one. So how did we get here? We're in Arizona after splitting the first two games. That great Adolis Garcia walk-off home run after the Corey Seager game-tying home run in game one. That amazing electric game. Merrill Kelly, fantastic, outstanding. All of the accolades you want to say. A masterclass pitching performance in game two. But a key thing, the Diamondbacks who scored nine runs in that game. Seven of those runs came with two outs. It's a very key thing I want you to remember as we discuss what happens in games three and four. Scoring runs with two outs, making things happen. It's one of the great things about baseball that I love. Every at-bat, every inning, every game, every series, every season, you have to play it out. Right? There is no running out the clock. There are versions of it. There are versions of it, things akin to it. But ultimately, you've got to get every out. You've got to get every strike. You've got to fight for everything. Nothing's given to you in the postseason. You've got to go earn it. And the Rangers are going to earn these wins in games three and four. The pitching matchup in game three is going to be a rookie and a future Hall of Famer. But if you've seen them pitch lately, you would be a little bit surprised to learn that it's the rookie who's been on fire coming off of great outings while the future Hall of Famer, who is Max Scherzer, has not been good this postseason. A lot of that has to do with injury. And the fact, he's old. He's not the same Mad Max that he was even just a few years ago, especially during that 2019 run. And so, what is Bruce Bochy going to get out of Max Scherzer? How soon is he going to go to the bullpen, especially with the prospect of having a bullpen game in game four? Andrew Heaney and Dane Dunning can cover quite a few innings, but if you have to turn to any of them, if Max Scherzer has a really abbreviated outing, like he did in game seven, for instance, you don't, You don't know what you're going to be able to do in the next game. Same can be said for the Diamondbacks, who 
have a lot of trust in the rookie Brandon fought. At the same time, this is a guy who made his major league debut earlier this season against the Rangers, gave up four home runs, has gotten hit around before. Heck, even his first postseason start, he didn't make it out of the third inning. It's not as if this is a guy who's been going out there delivering seven shutout innings or or six innings of one-run ball. It's usually been about two times around the order, maybe a little bit more than that. So bullpens are going to be key for both of these teams as we cover these two games. We'll get into the highlights of Game 3 after a word from our sponsor. Well, here in Kentucky, we are proud of several things. Horse racing at Churchill Downs, our bluegrass, uh, but what tops them all is what's known the whole world round, our bourbon, made right here in Kentucky. You can try to make it and bottle it and sell it overseas, but you can't call it bourbon. That designation is only allowed here in the U.S. of A. by an act of Congress. We are protective of our bourbon name and privileges like the French are with their champagne. And about 95% of it is made right here in Kentucky. In fact, we got more barrels of bourbon here than people and horses. That's true. You know, bourbons can come in all kinds of price points, like your really pricey, pricey kinds that they keep on the top shelf where you can barely reach them. They might run you about 500 a bottle. Or your more middle-of-the-road kinds in the $70 range that you, you don't have to ask anybody to reach for. They're right there usually at eye level. Then there are the brands that are more modestly priced that you can get for a lot less. But then you see they also come in these really big gallon bottles with handles on them. Those you might have to bend down for and grab from a lower shelf. And then there's Grandpappy Prendergast, the cheapest brand of bourbon we make here in Kentucky. Might sound expensive and rare, but trust me, it is not. You can get a 750 milliliter bottle of Grandpappy Prendergast for about eight American dollars. And you might see it on sale for less. That's cheaper than wine or most beers. Heck, that's cheaper than most other beverages. But it's earned the right to be called bourbon. It meets all the necessary qualifications. And it's made right here in Kentucky, U.S. of A., in one of our more remote unincorporated counties. Grandpappy Pendergrass. Since 2020, we decided it was time to bottle our grandpappy's bourbon recipe. When you try it, we think you'll be glad we did. That's for by name, either Grandpappy Prendergast or Grandpappy Pendergast. They'll know what you're talking about. And hand over the $10 and just wait for the change. You'll find it wherever they sell things like liquor together with gasoline or other chewing products. The fans in Phoenix are ready. The roof is open. A beautiful night for baseball in Arizona at Chase Field, the first World Series game here since that famous finish, the conclusion to the 2001 World Series. This is the first time that a World Series game is going to be played here since Luis Gonzalez's little bloop fell down and Jay Bell ran home, jumped on home plate, embraced in the arms, I believe, by Matt Williams. So 
So these fans are ready to cheer. They are standing. They are excited. They didn't really think their team was going to be here. And yet here they are. Here they are in the World Series. And they've taken home field advantage, by the way. If they can sweep this at home, they don't even have to head back to Texas. The problem here, like the Astros faced when when going up against these Texas Rangers, is that the Rangers are road warriors. They come in having won eight straight road games, not dropping a single one. They're going to be looking to make it nine in a row with this game here. And so, how are they going to make it happen? Early on, Brandon Font gets a scoreless top of the first. One, two, three inning. Max Scherzer ends up walking Cattell Marte with one out, but gets a ground ball double play from Gabby Moreno. Nice scoreless top of the inning for both of these guys where it's unclear exactly how long they're going to go. Brandon Font gets a double play of his own. A really nice comebacker with Mitch Garver at the plate. Font attacks the ball, flips his hips, delivers a strike to Cattell Marte, who turns an easy double play with the slow-footed Mitch Garver. Now, in the bottom of the second, a couple of key things happen. Christian Walker, who has struggled, struggled in these playoffs, but got some good swings going in game two. Almost hits one out of here, rides a high fastball from Max Scherzer off the wall in right center. He's in with a double, runner in scoring position right away, bringing up the red-hot Tommy Pham, who went four for four the previous game, already has a home run in this series, and he's looking to continue his hot streak and get the Diamondbacks on the board, get the crowd going. And he, in an advantage count, is going to hit the ball hard off of Max Scherzer, ripping the ball to right field. But there's a guy with a cannon out there, and he's been making his name known all throughout these playoffs, mainly with his bat. But don't forget, he's a weapon on defense as well. I'm talking about Adolis Garcia. He's got Walker in second. Nobody out. This next pitch is lined into right center, a base hit. Adolis over to cut it off. Walker running through a stop sign. Here's the throw. Home play at the plate. He is out at home play. Perfect throw by Adolis Garcia to nail Christian Walker trying to score. Going to second on the play is Tommy Pham. Diamondbacks may want to look at this. But right now, it is the first out of the bottom of the second. Totally perfect throw by Adolis Garcia. And uh, the third base coach, Tony Perez-Chica, got the scouting report, but apparently Walker did not. 
it's funny because it looked like he had his hands out to stop him. And then as soon as he saw that Walker wasn't going to stop, he pointed to home plate. The stop sign might have been a little late. What a throw by Adolis Garcia. And unfortunately for the Diamondbacks, a costly, costly base running mistake for a team that really runs the bases well. And that's part of their game. These playoffs, they've had some, they've had some clunkers out there on the bases, some real kind of boneheaded decisions. Now, there's a couple of elements to this play. First of all, it's a hard line drive to right. Walker doesn't get the best jump off of the bat. Number one. Number two, the third base coach is initially waving him home as he's moving down the line, which is the right thing to do. It's go, 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 and then stop. He, but since Walker is not fleet of foot, and this was a thing that like Albert Pujols pointed out, Guys who are not super fast put their head down to make sure they're running efficiently because if they pick their head up, they slow down. And so hard hit ball, he knows that off the bat. He's trying to score, knows there's a guy with a good arm out there. But Christian Walker puts his head down and therefore he misses the stop sign going up. Now, with the loud stadium in the World Series, the third base coach might have been calling and saying, hold up, hold up, hold up. But Walker likely didn't hear it. And so he's gunned out by a mile. No, no controversy on this play. Not even necessarily that exciting of a play at the plate, given the dart from Adolis Garcia. And that's such a momentum changing play. Because at worst, you would have had first and third, nobody out, if Walker picks up the sign. Tommy Pham does his job and moves over to second base, reads the throw, sees it's going through, gets himself in scoring position. But that's a missed opportunity with the middle of the lineup coming up. And Lourdes Gurriel gets overpowered by a Max Scherzer fastball pops up, and then Alec Thomas is going to hit the ball hard. But things are just going to bounce the right way for these Texas Rangers. Guys, Adoli said 10 of his 11 outfield assists during the regular season before the All-Star break. He had just one after the All-Star break, and that was in July. Wow. There's a comebacker off the back of Scherzer. It deflects to Young. His throw across in time for the out. A terrific recovery there by Josh Young to adjust to that ball, deflecting off of Scherzer's backside. It's a 1-5-3 out, and we're done here in the second. Despite two Diamondbacks hits, Arizona fails to score. We go to the third. It's nothing-nothing. What a play there from Josh Young coming in, getting the bare hand, paying attention to what's going on. That's what's been impressive about these Rangers and in these playoffs. You've seen defenders locked in, paying attention, picking up on those key plays. Think back to the Austin Riley uh, backing up the throw that came from the outfield 
in that great Phillies and Braves uh, ending of game two of that series. That's paying attention, being in the right spot, being ready, staying athletic, even when the ball's not directly at you. That is being locked in. That's what you need in the postseason on defense. By the way, our Rangers radio broadcast, Eric Nadell, Matt Hicks, and also producer Jared Sandler, who we've heard from the first time this postseason on our show. They, of course, are Rangers Radio 105.3 KRLD. Now, when you have momentum shifting plays or potentially momentum shifting plays there on defense, cutting down a run, making a great play, all you want to do when you get in there is to take advantage and go score. To lead off the top of the third, Nathaniel Lowe puts up a great at-bat, takes some borderline pitches, including one that might have caught the bomb in the zone, but I think it just missed. He drives a double on the ninth pitch of the at-bat to the right center field gap, putting himself in scoring position. Now it looks like that Brandon Fott's going to get out of this because he strikes out Josh Young, gets a ground out to second from Leody Tavares, and now he's going to be facing Marcus Semyon, who we've detailed has really struggled this postseason. The main thing is that guys have just attacked him away, away, away with fastballs and sliders and change-ups, and he has been stubborn absolutely stubborn. He's just waiting for them to miss on the inner half of the plate. And so far this postseason, pitchers haven't. They've executed. When they've missed, they've missed away or they've missed high. They haven't missed over the over the inner half of the plate. But in a 2-1 count, Brandon Fought, who's been excellent on his postseason run, is going to make that inner half mistake to Marcus Semyon. We're going to need to move to the first base side of the rubber as Marcus sends one deep out into left center and it falls for the base head. Thomas comes up with it, spins, throws it back into second, holding Semyon to a long single. But that gets Nathaniel Lowe home with the game's first run. And the Rangers draw first blood here in game three. They lead it 1-0. Well, fought missed with that pitch too. Fastball to Marcus Simeon. You know, they always pitch Marcus away, and that pitch was not far enough away. He was able to pull that ball to left center. That might be his biggest hit of the postseason so far. That's got to feel great for Marcus Semyon to finally get that hit with runners in scoring position that he's been looking for so far this postseason in this World Series. Finally takes advantage of of a mistake, gets barrel on it, drives in the run. Two out RBIs in the postseason. They make or break you. As we talked about at the top. And as we're going to see in these next two games. These moments are critical. Critical even in early junctures of a game. 
Because if Brandon fought, executes that fastball on the outer half, Semyon might be late on it, flies it out to right or, or rolls over. Or maybe fought is able to get to his slider and get Semyon to chase, but instead he misses. Run comes in to score. And it also means that Corey Seager, the most dangerous man on the planet right now, especially on the first pitch, it means he gets to bat this inning. And Brandon Fott, who doesn't want to fall behind guys, does not like to walk guys. Well, he's going to unfortunately be set up for an ambush. Both of these teams, by the way, in the postseason are unbeaten when they score first. How about that statistic? Well, let's go home. Here's Corey Seager who swings and drives one deep to right. It sails way out of here. Corey Seager with a line drive home run. A good dozen rows into the seats in right. He's given Texas a 3-0 lead. He annihilated a first pitch changeup. The pitch was in. It was up around thigh high. A no-doubter. Fifth home run of the postseason for Corey. That takes him to 10 runs batted in. And now in 16 career World Series games, Seeger with five World Series home runs and 13 runs batted in. Another no doubter from Corey Seeger on the first pitch. Taking that hanging change up. And absolutely crushing it. I love Corey Seager's approach at the plate. It can occasionally be a little frustrating when he's not barreling it up. Because he swings first pitch so often. And sometimes that leads to pop-outs. And that leads to rollovers. Sometimes it leads to line-outs, hard-hit balls. And the process is right. But it's such a threat. It's such a threat, and it forces you as a pitcher to be locked in from the first pitch. You can't just throw a fastball in there or a get-me-over off-speed or breaking ball because Seager is looking to do damage, and he's also not going to chase. Looks like the investment in him is paying off. The other key thing here is the Rangers moved up Adolis Garcia to the three-hole to hit right behind Corey Seager. And so that makes it a pick-your-battle. Do you want to walk Corey Seager? A, a thing I endorse, but that means you have to then pitch with runners in scoring position to the guy who's driven in more runs in a single postseason than anyone in the history of the game. Right? Not an easy decision, especially asking a rookie pitcher to execute that. Brandon Font doesn't want to walk guys. He doesn't want to put guys on. But you can't leave pitches in the middle of the zone to Corey Seager because he'll be all over them. Now, Max Scherzer threw a little bit of tough exertion is able to get through the bottom of the third. Uh, gets a strikeout and a fly ball, but ends up walking 
Corbin Carroll throws a wild pitch, but gets Gattel Marte to fly out. But Max Scherzer doesn't look right. And when he comes out for the bottom of the fourth, even after getting that shutdown inning with a three-run lead, he looks completely off. He looks upset, distraught, and Bruce Bochy goes to take him out of the ball game because he's got back spasms. Now, Scherzer, when he got hit by that ground ball, it went kind of off his elbow, off his back, but he claims after the game that back spasm unrelated. Um, and as we're going to find out, he's actually going to be done for the series, which we'll touch on later. But that means into this game comes John Gray, who was potentially pegged to start game four. It was going to be between him and Andrew Heaney. But here he is out of the pen. And boy, is he electric. Electric. He's able to cover three innings, the middle part of this game that could have gotten dicey, that could have gotten just a little too uncomfortable for manager Bruce Bochy. John Gray is awesome, allowing just one hit out of the 10 batters he faces. And oh, by the way, getting five strikeouts. His fastball and slider combo, just on point. He's another guy who got injured towards the end of the year and had to come back for the championship series. Um, and a guy who's been a starter essentially his whole career, and here he is in the postseason. He talks about it. Hey, just keep it simple. Uh, throw as hard as I can and throw my breaking ball as nasty as I can. Pretty simple approach. Yeoman's work there. I also give credit to Brandon Fott, who's able to work into the sixth inning, responds well after that early adversity. So he goes five and a third, only allowing those three runs, coming with two outs. Now, there's some hard contact. Alec Thomas goes, runs down some uh, some deep fly balls there. Um, but the Diamondbacks, honestly, their B bullpen, the guys who are going to likely be slated to pitch in that bullpen game in game four. So we're talking about Miguel Castro, Kyle Nelson, uh, and Luis Frijas. They keep things where they need to do. They keep it a 3 nothing game. Josh Spores comes in in the seventh, continues his excellent postseason, works around a two-out, a one-out double by Tommy Pham, striking out Lourdes Gurriel and Alec Thomas to keep it, keep it a 3 nothing game. And in the bottom of the eighth, they go to Aroldis Chapman, who is yet to pitch in this World Series. And he's going to have a very typical Aroldis Chapman outing. Detail it here for you in the bottom of the eighth. Emmanuel Rivera pinch hits, gets a double down the right field line after working a great at-bat against Aroldis Chapman. And up steps Geraldo Perdomo, a guy who has come up clutch time and again for these D-backs with big hits and most importantly, getting on base to then turn it over for the top of the lineup. 
Here's Greg Schulte and Tom Candiotti on 98.7 as the D-backs look to make this game really interesting here in the eighth inning. 2-1. And a line drive to left field. That's going to sink in for a base hit. Perdomo being run home. He will score. Diamondbacks, or excuse me, Rivera scores on the hit by Perdomo. And it's 3-1. And now listen to this crowd. That's what they've been waiting for. A little another broken bat, but just loops it in the left field. We've seen Perdomo do that a number of times in this postseason. And that bat dies a soldier, and the D-backs are on the scoreboard. How good has Perdomo been, huh? Fantastic. 293 coming into this game of the postseason. One in that bat there from Geraldo Perdomo getting the RBI base hit. And so key in this situation, getting the top of the order up, Corbin Carroll and Cattell Marte. Now, the reason I said this is a typical Aroldis Chapman postseason outing is he's going to bend and bend, and for sure it looks like he's going to break. But he just finds a way more often than not to get his team back in the dugout. Now, Corbin Carroll works a great at-bat. Chapman's firing fastballs, 100-mile-per-hour fastballs right at the top of the zone. It looks like Carroll is getting to it. Fouling it off. Fouling it off. But then, our oldest Chapman, the next two pitches he's going to throw to Corbin Carroll and then to Cattell Marte are two of the best pitches that he throws. Well, to a degree, where they're located, they might be two of the luckiest pitches he throws. But they are going to work in the favor of the Texas Rangers in a gotta-have-it game, a gotta-have-it inning. Two balls, two strikes. The pitch. Got him looking. A devastating slider that buckled the knees of Carroll and then bent over the inside corner. There's one out in the bottom of the eighth, and Cattell Marte is coming up next. Marte against Chapman, one for two in his career, and the one hit, a home run. Switch hitter batting right. He has fly to left, singled, and walked. NLCS MVP at the plate. And he swings, hits a double play ball to Seager. To his left, he's got it, drops to a knee. Throws to second for one, on to first, double play. Nice stab by Corey Seager on a hard ground ball just to his left. As he lunged for the ball, he dropped down to a knee, but gave Simeon a good feed, and the Rangers turned it 6-4-3. The reason I say that it's a bit of good fortune for Chapman is he frankly hung that slider to Carroll. But given the sequence with the 100-mile-per-hour fastballs right at the top of the zone, he locked him up. Carroll read that as a fastball, out of the hand, up and in, no chance for it 
to be in the zone, and yet it's right down the middle. And to Marte, it's a fastball right in the middle of the zone that Marte crushes. I mean, off the bat, 114 miles per hour. Just one hop, a little bit to Seager's left, makes a great stab. And given how hard the ball's hit, he knows he's got time to flip it over, get a good feed to Semyon, who turns it into a double play, keeping it a three-one ball game, allowing a clean inning for Jose Leclerc and at least a two-run lead for him entering the ninth. Sometimes those are the breaks in baseball. Carroll, if he's able to recognize that out of the hand, right? maybe he spoils it at the very least, or if not, stays on it. We've seen Carroll hit lefty breaking balls out of the park. And Marte hits the ball hard, just the last place you want to hit it. Rangers have had good breaks in today's game on the field. But they've also, I've kind of mentioned, had some bad breaks too before we get to this ninth inning. Where, of course, Max Scherzer had to come out of this game, forcing them to use John Gray a little bit earlier and more than they wanted to. But more importantly, in the eighth inning, I forgot to mention in the top of it, Adolis Garcia hit a fly ball into center field and immediately grabbed his side. And if any of you have watched baseball long enough, you know what that means. It's likely an oblique injury, an oblique cramp, tear, whatever. Garcia in obvious pain. You know, he's been swinging so big, so hard, and unfortunately caught up with him with either some type of lower back or an oblique injury. Whereas we're going to find out he's going to be done for the series, a major blow to the Rangers. In the ninth inning, Jose Leclerc comes in in a rare opportunity just to get a one, a, a, a clean save in the ninth inning. No, having to come into the eighth inning or having to bail someone out of a jam. Here you go. Just a simple ninth inning. Now, Gabby Moreno steps up to lead off this inning, and earlier in the count, there's like a 1-1 pitch that LeClerc throws a slider right on the edge of the zone, gets called a ball. Replay shows, probably should have been called a strike, wasn't framed the best by Jonah Heim. But, oh my God, is there a makeup call in this at-bat? And it's horrendous. In a 3-1 count, LeClerc goes to a cutter that is off the plate, away, by a couple of baseballs. Like, it it's, lines up essentially with the other batter's box. But Alfonso Marquez calls it a strike. Now, all things being equal, probably should just be a 3-2 count anyway. But, of course, everyone's steaming mad. Broadcasters are talking about it, and with Moreno not wanting to chance things, he swings at a pitch that's out of the zone, grounds out to third. 
So, of course, that becomes kind of a discussion in this game. Well, if it had been a walk, who knows what happens? Regardless, LeClerc takes full advantage of it. Gets Christian Walker to expand his zone, strikes him out, and then upsteps Tommy Pham, who's been the Diamondbacks' hottest hitter. Once again, LeClerc gets advantage count, gets two strikes, and he is going to put Tommy Pham away. LeClerc set at one and two. A long hold, he kicks and fires. He struck him out swinging on a high fastball, and the Rangers take game three by the score of three to one. A perfect inning for Jose LeClerc with a couple of punch outs, one on a slambio, one on a fastball, as he cools off Tommy Pham and the Diamondbacks. What a well-played defensive game for the Rangers. What a well-pitched game for the Rangers. What a win for these Rangers. What a job by the entire pitching staff holding the D-backs to just one run. Scherzer was a bit smoke and mirrors, but he did put up three scoreless innings. Obviously, that key throwout from Adolis Garcia Really, the difference in this ball game, we can go back to that, and Fott's inability, those mis- two mistake pitches, back-to-back, leaving that fastball over the plate to Marcus Semyon and hanging that changeup to Corey Seager, and that's the ball game. Rangers took advantage of the mistakes that were made, and the D-backs couldn't make... Uh, they didn't get that many mistakes... But the ones they got in the eighth inning against Aroldis Chapman, they didn't capitalize on. And so the Rangers up 2-1 in this series. But probably more present on their mind is the fact that Max Scherzer is probably done for this series. And unfortunately, as they find out hitting in, heading into game four, so is Adolis Garcia. Those are two significant losses, Garcia being the more important one especially given how well John Gray pitched in relief. Bruce Bochy's thinking, yeah, I can probably turn to him in a game seven or some combination of, a, of, of piecing it together. I'm not as much worried about that. Losing Max Scherzer at the end of the day, Max wasn't himself this postseason. So they bring in a lefty reliever, Brock Burke, and a utility guy, Ezekiel Duran, a guy who was huge for the Rangers earlier in this year uh, while Corey Seager missed time due, in it, due to an injury. And while various other players, you know, but sort of fell out of the rotation as the year went on. Now that means Travis Jankowski is going to be in right field and he's going to play a huge role in this game. But perhaps the most important thing to talk about heading into game four is the decision to go to a bullpen game specifically for the Diamondbacks. Because on the Rangers side of things, it's a bullpen game, but it is Andrew Heaney. It's more of, hey, you're starting, and if you get into trouble, we're going to take you out. You're He's a guy who can start. There's just going to be an incredibly short leash on Andrew Heaney. And guys like Dane Dunning or Cody Bradford can cover multiple innings. 
on the D-back side of things, they're going to go with Joe Mantiply, which I can understand to start the game. He's one of your better relievers. You don't want to start someone as an opener who isn't good. But I have a couple questions heading into this, and maybe this is going to be talking about, you know, as we're going to see what happens, right? The bullpen plan is not going to work for the Diamondbacks. And frankly, although they got a win in game four against the Phillies, that had more to do with them making a comeback. It wasn't as if the bullpen the bullpen game worked to perfection. Now, the Phillies were able to score five runs off of it. My two points here. Number one, was Zach Gallen available? He might not have been. And and the key thing that I was reading here, Zach Gallen's thrown more innings than anyone this postseason, 237 and a third. That's a career high for him. It's more than anyone has thrown since 2019 when Justin Verlander and Steven Strasburg, and I believe Patrick Corbin covered more than that, uh, basically in an entire season. Garrett Cole might have also been on that list. But that's a lot of innings for a relatively young pitcher who has not gone this deep into the playoffs before. And we've seen him struggle, too. His last three starts have not been great. His stuff has not looked as sharp. He looks like he has been tiring, especially when you consider since the second half of the season. But still, Zach Gallen at 75%, 80% is better than most of your relievers. And also, the main thing is then for a game five, you bring Merrill Kelly back on short rest. These are the things I don't know if this was a discussion. There's also the factor that Zach Gallen is a Scott Boris client. Not going to get into what all of that means. But was it even a question? I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anyone ask. Did Zach Gallen ask? Did the Diamondbacks ask? Or was it not even part of the discussion? Because if it's not even part of the discussion, that's fair. I mean, it, it speaks more to the problems of the Diamondbacks and their construction. The fact that they trotted guys out there, including a guy, Ryan Nelson, who's going to pitch really well in this game. It's just going to be, you know, the back half of the game uh, where he gives innings after they're going to be at quite a deficit. And we'll detail how we get there in a moment. But the other main question I have of, okay, if Zach Gallen wasn't an option and it wasn't an option to bring any of your guys on short rest, why not use some of your best relievers? So there's this, essentially the circle of trust, which is Ryan Thompson, Kevin Ginkle, and Paul Seawalt. Your best relievers. Now you want them for the high leverage situations, but down 2-1 in a series, when you know you have a bullpen game, those early opportunities are potentially high leverage. Like, we're going to see some of the decisions early in this game that I think would have been opportunities, at least for Ryan Thompson. Because he's a guy who can go multiple innings, is not going to be afraid to go multiple days in a row, and in key situations where you need 
absolutely positively need outs, right? Because at, at a certain point, you've got to add up to 27 outs. You need them coming from your best guys. And that simply isn't going to happen in this game for the Diamondbacks. So let's break down how it happens. Early on, first inning for Joe Mantiply does his job. Ends up walking Mitch Garver, throws a couple of pitches, but gets the lefties out. Corey Seager and Evan Carter both fly out. Andrew Heaney is able to get out of the first inning despite giving up a base hit to Cattell Marte, who extends his hitting streak to 20 games. Cattell Marte. Wow, what a postseason for him. But after consecutive strikeouts to Corbin Carroll and Gabriel Moreno, Marte gets hosed at second base, trying to steal to get into scoring position for Christian Walker. Great throw and a fantastic tag by Marcus Semyon. Jonah Heim to Marcus Semyon. And it's a really, really key thing. Another base runner thrown out for the Diamondbacks. And we're going to get another two-out rally from the Rangers. Josh Young works a great bat against Mantiply, shoots one to the right center gap, gets a nice double. Mantiply strikes out Nathaniel Lowe, the lefty, but then his day is done. And this is the point where I feel, instead of going to Miguel Castro, the sidewinder, you should have gone to the other sidewinder, the guy who's actually been really good this postseason and not struggled to a significant significant degree. Miguel Castro, of course, gave up the walk-off homer to Garcia and has struggled at other points in this postseason against the Phillies. Um, and there's a couple things that happen here. He does get Jonah Heim to roll over, but that moves Josh Young to third base. And Castro can be wild. In a 2-2 count, he throws a changeup at the bottom of the zone that gets away from Gabby Moreno, brings in a run. Now, Gabby Moreno does something that's a little frustrating to me. He does the one leg type thing, like setting up, looking to frame at the bottom of the zone. But with a runner on third base, you've got to be focused on blocking. Framing comes second with a runner on third. and But that's just kind of the way things are done now. Tavares ends up drawing a walk. Travis Jankowski, who's in for Adolis Garcia, he gets a base hit up the middle, bringing up Marcus Semyon, who had a huge two-out hit in yesterday's game and is yet again going to come up clutch, this time in a two-strike count. And this is just going to be the case. This game is all about, with two outs and two strikes, the Diamondbacks just can't put the Rangers away. Because the Rangers could do stuff like this. Well, a lot of fans sat down after the Rangers scored that run. Some are still standing. Simeon behind here at a ball and two strikes with Tavares at second, Jankowski at first. The 1-2 pitch, swing and a line drive toward the left field corner. That is a fair 
ball just inside the line, all the way into the corner. Tavares scores. Jankowski speeding around third. Marcus is headed to third. Here's the throw. He slides. He's safe at third. Two-run triple. Marcus Simeon. Rangers lead it 3-0. Well, that was a slider over the outside part of the plate, and Mark is able to pull that one. As we have learned, he is a strict pull hitter and able to pull the breaking ball away. Another crooked inning early on the road for these Rangers, something they are so adept at doing. It is so deflating for a home crowd. Those two-out runs, and especially multi-run innings, oh man, that they are backbreakers. And this is only going to get more backbreaking. Miguel Castro's done. You know he had two strikes, or he was a he either had two strikes or was ahead of every hitter here, and unable to retire any of them except Jonah Heim. And there's some hard contact, too. 3-0 game. Kyle Nelson comes in, and then up steps Corey Seager, who, he's just a man on fire, folks. There is no reason I see, if it matters, if there's runners on for the rest of this postseason, especially after this swing, it is going to be malpractice if the D-backs keep pitching to him. Because if they do, stuff like this will happen. So lefty on lefty matchup here. Seager flying out to deep left center for his first time. And he drives this one deep out into right center field. Sailing out of here. Corey Seager with yet another home run. His third here in the World Series. His sixth this postseason. Texas five, Arizona nothing. Nelson hung a slider on the first pitch right in the middle of the zone, thigh high. Corey could not have asked for one in a better spot. Oh, he hit that just to the right of the 413 marker, which is on the far end of that center field wall toward right center. Kind of hit it between that 413 sign and the pool. Seeger absolutely locked in doesn't matter what you throw him if it's in the zone breaking ball change up fastball he's going to put the barrel on it such a compact and powerful swing by a guy who makes great decisions at the plate and it's five nothing just a back breaker there and it only gets worse worse from here for the diamondbacks who you know trailing unable to get back despite a base hit from lourdes guriel andrew heaney is on his game here and perhaps some of it is the diamondbacks are really pressing trying to get back you know trying to fight back from such an another early deficit but kyle nelson He's not able to get through the third, not able to give them any length here. Gets out Evan Carter, but gives up back-to-back base hits. Luis Frias comes in, and he does get two outs, but up steps Travis Jankowski. 
the guy who is Adolis Garcia's replacement, you know, in the lineup, and he is going to add to the postseason RBIs by Rangers right fielders in this series. Rios taking some time to regather on the hill. Now sets just above the belt and comes home. Swing and a drive into center field. Base hit for Jankowski. And a sliding stop by Thomas of sorts. And the score is young and low. Heim goes to third. Jankowski's at second with a two-run double. And the Rangers lead seven to nothing. In there for his defense. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense. What a swing there from Jankowski, and if Alec Thomas doesn't cut that off, that probably runs to the wall and is at least a bases-clearing triple, if not a potential inside-the-park grand slam. Think about this. The Diamondbacks scored seven two-out runs in Game 2. The Rangers then scored three two-out runs in Game 3, have added on seven more two-out runs to start Game 4, And with Marcus Semyon at the plate, they're going to bring that total in this game alone to 10 with this swing of the bat. Jankowski, two hits, and now two runs batted in. And here's a drive high into the air, deep into left field. Guriel going back to the wall. He leaps, and it is gone. A home run for Marcus Semyon. It's a three-run shot. And the Rangers are in double figures at 10 to nothing. What a time for Marcus to emerge in the last two games. And particularly tonight with Adolis Garcia out of the lineup. Five RBIs for Simeon, two for Seager at the top of the order. And we're only in the third inning. And the route is on. 10 nothing. not even the end of the third inning. The plan completely blowing up in manager Tori Lavulo's face. You know, I think sometimes we assume the conclusion that bullpen games are bad. And, well, I just, the Diamondbacks don't deserve to win this series. I mean, look at, look at just how laughable that is. And also, there's the other side of things of, well, look, it was all with two outs. I mean, if they just, if they get outs, then maybe it could have worked. I still come to the conclusion that it was the wrong pitchers to choose for a bullpen game. If you're going to go with it out of necessity, I understand. Why in the heck are you going to Miguel Castro and Frias and Kyle Nelson? before Ryan Thompson gets a chance to pitch in this game. That's all I'm asking. All right, and it, it especially seems silly when Ryan Nelson, the guy who had been the D-backs fourth, fifth starter for most of the year, albeit not a very good starter, he struggled. There's a reason why he's not been tasked to start games. When he goes out, throws five and a third of one run, his only run, a solo homer to Jonah Heim. Yeah, it kind of begs the question of what are we doing here, folks? 
Now, I will credit the Diamondbacks to one thing. You could shut down when it's 10 nothing. Peace could go home and say, all right, pack it up. We'll take them on for game five. We'll just already in our heads move there. But they fight. They fight back. They end up putting on seven runs in this ball game, including a three-run homer by Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in the eighth. Had a couple of other sack flies before that. In fact, as we're going to hear, they're going to get Jose Leclerc into this ballgame. This game was 10-0, and Jose Leclerc is going to have to come, come in because they make it an 11-5 ball game heading into the ninth. And then actually off of Leclerc after Will Smith can't put guys away, Gabriel Moreno brings in two runs. But too little, too late. You know, 11-7 looks a lot better than 11-1 or 11 nothing. But Jose Leclerc on the mound takes a breather. They've seen this before kind of happened with them against the Orioles where a route became a little bit closer, a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable at the end. But Leclerc has been part of every win so far for these Rangers. And he's going to put them just one win away from their first ever World Series championship. A long hold and here's the pitch. Swung on and popped up, first base side. Nate Lowe near the Ranger dugout says he has it. He does. The ball game's over. The Rangers lead the World Series three games to one. The Rangers have won it by the score of 11 to 7, as Jose Leclerc has participated in all 12 Ranger victories this fall. It got more exciting than it should have been. But ultimately, the Rangers hang on to win it 11-7, to with the win going to Andrew Heaney and the loss going to the uh, starter-slash-opener reliever Joe Mantiply. And the Rangers, if they need it, will have three chances to win their first World Series starting with tomorrow night. And so that brings us to tonight, game five, which should be starting in about two hours as of the time I'm recording this, Zach Gallen versus Nate Evaldi. As I detailed, Zach Gallen's thrown more innings than anyone this year and has struggled towards the end. How long of a leash is he going to get? What is he going to bring to the table? Because ultimately, this is what it comes down to. Lavulo was banking on that bullpen game, was hoping, you know, obviously hoping to get a win. But what he's expecting and what he's hoping for is that Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, and Brandon Fott could bring them to the promised land. That those three guys and the key bullpen guys, Ginkle, Seawald, and Thompson, who have not pitched at home so far, that they are going to deliver them the rest of the way, because if you're the D-backs, you can't go back to those other guys who've given up the runs, right? It, if there's anyone throwing pitches in this game, it's got to be Zach Gallen. Heck, it might even have to be Merrill Kelly in this game. And it's Thompson, Seawalt, Ginkle, no one else. And ultimately the bats, they got to do it earlier. They can't wait around to score. They have to score early. Carroll, Marte, 
Walker, fam. Get it done early. Get the crowd into it. Put the pressure on Texas. Because Bruce Bochy is looking to win his fourth World Series. Just one win away. And the Rangers could win their first ever after getting beaten by Bochy in 2010 and heartbreak in 2011. All comes down to this. Catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.